Close your eyes. Okay, so <laughs> Shall we go upstairs? Yeah. I'm actually locating old Ray. <laughs> 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 so I just have a word Comfy? Yeah, all good. So I have to, I've written some nice things about you, so I have to uh, read them out first. Okay. <laughs> I can see she's reading, she's reading her info, uh, I can see. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh. You can read upside down. I can, yeah. yeah. That's incredible. Okay. Do you want to, read, yeah, do you want to give a go? <laughs> Hello, listeners. Welcome once more to Q Presents. That's pretty good. Yeah, the making of a weekly podcast brought to you by the world's best music magazine, Q. Wow. There you go. Mm. This could I, be really like sort of surreal. Could have read you could upside just, down. <laughs> you could just interview yourself. Okay. Uh, <laughs> just ask myself some very simple questions. <laughs> Hello, listeners. Welcome once more to Q Presents. The making of a weekly podcast brought to you by the world's best music magazine, Q. Each week, we meet up with one of the great music makers of our time. We take a journey through their past. Find out about the music that inspired them and what makes them tick. I'm Key Magazine's assistant editor, Chris Catchpole, sitting in for our usual host, Ted Kessler. And my guest this week is Kate LeBon. Since releasing her debut EP in 2008, Kate has forged a path as one of the most singular voices in modern music. Each of Kate's albums pulls off the difficult trick of sounding nothing like its predecessor, but unmistakably her. And her most recent, Reward, has been nominated for this year's Mercury Music Prize. Kate's collaborated with Superfray Animals' Griff Reese, Manic Street Preachers, The Chemical Brothers, Perfume Genius and more, as well as working as a producer for other artists, including Deer Hunter. Here to talk about all of that and a whole lot more, hello Kate. Hello. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you doing? Very well, thank you. We've had quite good. changeable weather today, so it's a bit... Yeah. Not sure what to wear when you leave yeah. the house and you just... <laughs> <laughs> and you've just come back from holiday, you were saying, on the way in. Yeah, so I'm a little bit um, dozy. A little bit dozy. Yeah. How long were you away for? Uh, f- managed five nights. Five nights? Yeah. Five nights in Sardinia? Yeah. Oh, lovely. Yeah, it was wonderful. Very jealous, yeah. very jealous. Um, I suppose since last time we spoke to you, um, congratulations are in order. Thank you. For your Mercury nomination. Thank you very much. You looking forward to it? I am, yeah. It's, um, it's pretty pretty surreal. Um, but yeah, it's going to be it's going to be fun. Do you do many sort of award ceremonies? Is that kind of I kind of your scene a little bit? I don't. I think it may be. Oh, there's, there's the Welsh Music Awards, mm. you know. But um, uh, actually, you know, Neon Neon were nominated for yes. a Mercury. Yeah, I was yeah. I was with them then. Um, but uh, this, yeah, this is new. New ground for me, yeah. <laughs> a good opportunity to catch up with people, I suppose, isn't it? Yeah, I guess so, yeah. Well, that's the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you don't mind, we're going to go back. Okay. Right back Whoa. to the start. Okay. Growing up in Wales. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a little bit of confusion about when you were born, am I right? Oh, yeah, yeah, Not yeah, your yeah. birthday. Yeah, and uh, uh, I celebrated... My birthday on the wrong day for I think six years, um, and I say I. I mean, really, when you're six, it's your parents' <laughs> responsibility, huh? Um, but uh, 
but yeah, and then and then found out that my birthday was actually the fourth of March. And what what, um, what they told you it was the third. Yeah, right. but I I wasn't born around midnight. It was, <laughs> you know, very deep into the fourth of March. So um, there's there really is no excuse. You know? <laughs> You'd think having a baby was memorable, but <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, for a six-year-old, that's quite earth-shattering news that it was your weird. birthday wasn't quite what you thought it was. Yeah, it was weird, but you know, my mum is very pragmatic, so um, there was. It came with a. She came into the front room. She went. She's from up north. She went. When's your birthday? And I went. The third of March. She went. It's not. It's the fourth. And I went. What? And she went. Oh, shut up. <laughs> it's like, which is, you know, it's a great, great way to be. Like, oh, yeah. I suppose it doesn't really make a difference, but deal with it probably very embarrassing for her to have to contact the schools and right. you know, oh, yeah, yes. and the doctors yeah. and, you know. <laughs> and the little old woman who lived up the road who'd bring me a card and two pounds on the third and they go silly woman <laughs> Um, you know. In was uh, it sounds sort of quite rural, quite idyllic growing up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Was yeah. that the case? Yeah, no, it was, um, we, mum and dad bought an old farmhouse and, I mean, me and my sister spent most of our time outdoors, really. It was, um, you know, very much uh, TV off on the weekends and uh, we'd we'd go out outdoors and... My sister and I had a go teach, and we'd um, take them on <laughs> take them on long walks. Take them on long know? walks. Where, where did the goats stay normally? Where, where did they in the sheds? <laughs> they were just in the sheds. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. what was your goat called? Uh, Bluebell. Bluebell. Yeah, she was sweet. And what about your sisters? Charlotte. Charlotte. Yeah, oh, very nice. Yeah, they were little pygmy goats, and um, as long as you had a piece of bread on on your person, they'd follow you anywhere. Nice tempered. Yeah, yeah, really, really sweet. Oh, yeah. Oh, very nice. Um, yeah. So was music kind of always about as well when you were growing up? Was it around the house? Yeah, I guess my my <clears throat> parents used to, you know, put their music on on the weekend and they'd always be singing. And my auntie Rita was, um, she was a great singer. She, I mean, she still is. Um, and she'd, most of the time spent with her, we'd, you know, we'd just be listening to music and her husband at the time he played the sousaphone and he I just remember him he he was <clears throat> pretty incredible on the piano and he'd play the boogie woogie I don't know if there is a thing the boogie woogie but he played, <laughs> he'd play boogie woogie piano music, yeah. Yeah, like George Holland sort of thing yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah and it would it was just it completely blew my mind you know he was my absolute favorite uncle because he could play the boogie boogie he could play the boogie boogie yeah. and no other <laughs> yeah um i had a jukebox and you know it was it was always something very joyful and never something that was turned into a, a chore or mm. you know um academic or you know it was um it was really yeah the the joy of music yeah yeah um you mentioned an instrument that your uncle played. Mm-hmm. What was that? A sousaphone. What's, what's a sousaphone? Uh, it's the big dog that you, uh, that, that kind of wraps around your body and then there's a massive horn that is above your head. I see, I see, yes, That's my, yes, yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. For obviously listeners can't see, Kate's doing the sort of wrap around a giant trombone sort of yeah. mime with her hands. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's quite, that's, that's unusual. 
Yeah, yeah, he was uh, an unusual guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the king of boogie woogie. Yeah, he was. <laughs> um, and your dad used to play sort of, he had quite eclectic taste in music as well, am I right? Yeah, yeah, he was, um, and still does, you know, he was, um, he'd make great mixtapes, you know, he played Nirvana to me, he played Pavement to me, um, and, you know, some other qu- questionable bands maybe but um but was you know was always he was into music which mm. was um which was really um fun you know to to kind of be exposed to that sometimes by osmosis you know yeah. without really paying attention and and you know there's always bands that you have to sometimes when they're played to you from you know before you can remember and it almost becomes like wallpaper. It's it's really nice when you reach an age where you kind of rediscover that band for yourself mm. and what it means to you. You know. Yeah. Um, yeah. And was there what was that like a band or an artist that was kind of your first discovery where you're like, this is my thing that I, um, I found I love. Not that I can. I mean, that kind of depends on the company you're in, doesn't it? And um, I think I think in terms of the first time I heard music that felt like it was my kind of music was when um, Dad played me a pavement record and I just loved it and I didn't care who else loved it or if it was cool or not, mm. you know, it kind of eclipsed all of that because it was just so exciting to me. Um, because pre- I guess previous to that, you kind of almost trying to keep up with, you know, your peers at school and everyone thinks a certain band's cool and so you can you can kind of feign that for a while. Yeah. But Pavement, you know, blew my mind, my tiny little mind. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and I, you know, that's such an exciting moment, isn't it, when mm. you find something that really sings to you. Um, yeah. And what was the point for you where you went from loving music to being this is what I want to do with my life? Um, I don't know. I don't think I've ever thought about it in terms of, you know, it being a life pursuit in a way. You kind of just... Um, I guess, you know, I'd always written songs since I was quite small um, just for, obviously, the, the joy of mm. writing a song. Um, and... I think it used to really amuse my mum and dad, um, especially the you know the teenage years where your songs are quite angsty. Oh, you, and... you were doing angsty teenage songs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I think they found that hilarious. So they always encouraged me to keep writing for their own amusement. I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but I suppose you know it was. Um, I guess when I was applying for universities, and I realised that maybe I didn't want to necessarily be doing that just yet and that I could I would maybe go and uh and just I moved to Cardiff and played for some other musicians and then started playing shows myself and you know just put that on the back burner for the time being but um it's yeah I'm, I'm always of the mind that you know it 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 could you know your attitude towards it could change and then it's nice to do something else yeah. and have lots of different chapters I suppose yeah yeah 
Um, so when you moved to Cardiff, how old were you? Was that straight mm, after 18, sixth form college? Yeah, then? 18, yeah. And you quite quickly sort of moved, met the musicians that, well, had a huge part of your life. Yeah. Um, and what's the story? I, I read somewhere about where the Le Bon came from on your on your. Gig. Oh, it was just, um, it was a, an inside joke that, became an outside joke (laughs) you know went too far but but I I guess it's 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 a a strange thing to kind of authorise yourself to to play a show Mm. and it's quite an internal struggle you know if you're a bit shy was it one of your first was that like your first gig you played in Cardiff yes by myself and um, my partner at the time he was putting it on because he was kind of sick of me talking about it and not <laughs> doing it, you know. And so he he put it on the poster and then it just kind of stuck. And But it's, it's quite nice to, you know, to have that small barrier of not using your birth name. But, um, but yeah. Have you ever met Simon Le Bon? Uh, no, I haven't. <laughs> No, is he nice? Never. I'm, I'm, I no. don't know. I've never met. He's oh. come to the Key Awards a few times. Yeah, he seems quite nice. Yeah, he he's looks very tall. He looks nice. Yeah, he's very tall. <laughs> he must be nice. If then. That, yeah. if that counts for anything. <laughs> yeah. um, so when you were sort of playing these gigs early on, mm-hmm. was that when um, Griff first came to your shows? Yeah, I, th- I believe so. And um, and then you know, and I knew Griff anyway. You know, I'd been a massive fan of the Super Free Animals, mm. you know, growing up in Wales and having that band and the Gorkies whilst Britpop's going on is just so valuable. Mm. You know? um, and then he, he called me up and asked me uh, if I'd open for the Super Free Animals in, at the point in Cardiff. And it was like I wasn't 100% sure if that's what he'd asked me. But I was... <laughs> kind of sure but didn't know him well enough at the time to kind of phone him back and go hang on have I got this right you know um but yeah it was a real moment of like oh my god that's that's good <laughs> oh, that's great I'm doing something and, right here yeah and I pulled over and I called my friend you know and she she screamed a lot and it was <laughs> It's just one of those moments where, yeah. yeah, it was, yeah. And would you say he's, I suppose, you know, you mentioned earlier um, with Neon Neon, Is mm-hmm. he, was he a bit of a mentor to you in those early years? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. He's, um, I mean, Griff's just incredible as an artist and a musician and as a human being. He's, um, I don't think you could beat him, really. He's, everything is considered and there's so much integrity and um you know intelligence and wit and joy behind everything he does you know um and to to kind of have him as a letter of recommendation you know when he put um my records out at the beginning was just insane to me you know that I, I was so I just felt so lucky, you know, and just so lucky as well to just be, you know, to to tour with him and and just watch the way he conducted himself. Mm. And, you know, he's, um, yeah, he's 
he's a magnificent man. Yeah. That, that sort of curiosity as well, isn't it? Yeah, God, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, um, yeah, he's, I mean, yeah, he's just incredible, Griff, yeah. And um, was it him that, did he encourage you to do your first EP in Welsh? Was that? No, I mean, that was, um, that was something that I wanted to do and wanted to, um, you know, my English and Welsh are both my first languages. Um, but I spoke I spoke English at home, and so I think maybe because of that, I find it easier to to write lyrics in in English. I find when I try and write in Welsh, it becomes a little bit, um, you know, it's not. I, I have to think so hard about it because to me, it, it can be sometimes a bit of a tricky language to be off the cuff in mm. that it compromises my style in a way if that makes sense um but it was i mean that yeah it was i think it was a period when there was lots of you know finders keepers had just put out the welsh rare beat compilations and so i was listening to a lot of welsh language music that i hadn't previously heard and so i think i was um it just felt like the right thing to do but Mm. lyrically i think it's probably uh Shocking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, I'm not, the title, is it roughly in English, don't look a gift horse in the mouth? Is yeah, the yeah. Of, gist of it would be in yeah, English? Yeah, So I'd, I'd bought a book of, because, you know, you can't translate idioms. Mm. Um, so, but it's interesting. I bought a book of Welsh idioms and what their English, I guess, counterpart would be. Um, so I just means looking into the eyes of a borrowed horse. Oh, which okay, is, yeah, all right. It's direct translation, but is the equivalent of um, looking a gift horse in the mouth. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Same sort of yeah. gist. Same, sort of gist Same kind of, of nonsense. Yeah. 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 yeah, you know, <laughs> uh, yeah. I was interested that um, you said about you realised that early on that um, writing in Welsh sort of you find it harder creatively because mm-hmm. you have a very sort of a unique lyric writing style um when did you start to sort of develop that um do you know i had a, a an incredible english teacher in um secondary school and he's actually the one who i guess when i went to tell the school that i wasn't actually gonna apply for university after all and i expected all hell to break loose he he was incredible and he said, you know, I'll grant you my blessing if you promise me you'll always write. Oh, wow. Um, which I I think he meant poems and stuff, which I, I never did. <laughs> so I felt quite bad. Um, but he, yeah, he was a massive, you know, um, it's just nice when someone believes in you I suppose yeah you know, and it's and gives you kind of the permission that you feel you need to to write on your own accord um so yeah and then I guess the more you do stuff like that the more comfortable you become and the more you find what works for you and mm. what conditions work for you um yeah do you like to find like an interesting subject for a song or a record or a collection of songs um, 
you know, some, I love the idea of that, and I always have that as kind of a um, as a starting point. But often, I find y- you have a starting point, and then you shatter it, and then <laughs> yeah. you, you know, something yeah. comes from it, and you don't necessarily understand at first what's coming from it, but you kind of embrace the the chaos of that mm. and, um, and let yourself exist in it. And then often I find that sometimes it reveals itself to me after the fact. Then it's almost like a letter from the past to myself, if that makes sense. Um, sort of. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, um, but I, yeah, I guess it's, it's just as long as it feels right and it feels like it's coming from an authentic place to not constantly um, inhibit yourself by questioning everything. Mm. I read that your second album was inspired by a festival you'd gone to on the Isle of Egg. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, to an extent. Yeah. You know, Is that a similar were... thing? That's where it sort of the germinated idea started? Yeah, I guess and so. And, and wound up somewhere but, else. But really the, the feeling of being on that, al- on that island... Um, more so than the actual physicality of mm. the time I spent there. You know, it was more the the feeling that it evoked and then where that kind of takes you. Is, I think, as a listener, there's a mm-hmm. strong sense of place in your albums. Is mm-hmm. that very important to you before you start writing or recording a record, the sense um, of place? I think it's probably um, to do with where I put myself when I'm making a record and the, you know, I'll be in a very particular or will have put myself in a very particular um, landscape maybe or uh, headspace. And so I guess everything is written under that umbrella so probably feels like it exists Mm. in the same... Um, space maybe sort of colour palette and mood and yeah yeah because um, before um, Mug Museum you mm-hmm. went out to LA what brought yeah so you'd been recording in Cardiff and gigging Cardiff based in Cardiff mm-hmm. what what was the decision to because that's got to be quite a change going from LA yeah, yeah. to Cardiff um, I suppose I'd met some musicians when I was touring and had kind of mentioned that I'd love to make a record in California um, there was a drummer who I'd seen play with a band called White Fence, um, a guy called Nick Murray, and I really wanted to have him play drums on my record. Um, and and Josiah Steinbeck was in White Fence at the time, and we we played a show with them. Um, and he is a bit of a doer Joe so all of a sudden he was arranging you know studios and <laughs> which is great you know you yeah. need that sometimes otherwise it is oh, just, just always it. an idea oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah like huh what <laughs> um, and he was thinking about you know producers and um, and then I was I, I was given a three year visa instead of a year visa the weather in the UK had been absolutely shocking <laughs> And was, you know, really starting to kind of wear me down a mm. bit. And so it just kind of made sense to go and make this record and then 
stay, stay and there, have yeah. a have a change, work with different people, you know, try and um, get some vitamin D. Yeah, and instead of stagnating, you know, kind of changing changing things up a bit. So mm. yeah. So how long were you in LA in total for then? Uh, I think four years. Four years. Yeah. yeah. So that's one more. Is that should you mean to cut that out in case of visa reasons? If you said you had a three, oh no yeah. no, but I I I had another visa in that time. Oh yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Sure. everything's Ooh. above board. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so you moved back recently. Um, yeah, what inspired the move to come back to the UK? Um, I wanted to go to that furniture school in the Lake District, right? Um, and I've been looking at it for a few years. Um, because I knew I could, I knew I needed a, like to have a break, and in order to truly have a break, I had to kind of immerse myself in something else that was pretty all-consuming, mm. and um, and the, there was, I could, I knew I couldn't take three years out and do it through university. So there was, there's a school in the Lake District called Waters Nackland, and they do a year intense course of kind of furniture design and building. Okay. Um, and so I enrolled. And is that um, something you'd always always wanted to do? Is that not, been the back not of your mind? always always, but the the kind of I think since I did um, ceramics in Los Angeles, I kind of really enjoyed kind of the meditativeness of making something mm. with your hands and how it was very grounding, which is kind of opposite to. Making music, <laughs> you know, which can be quite disrupting at times, mm. you know. Um, so, yeah, I guess my interest in that had then evolved into an interest of uh, furniture and architecture. And, uh, yeah, it just was something that I really wanted to do. Mm. And you know, often with things like that, you're kind of waiting for someone else to grant you permission and then you realise... <laughs> Ah, that that's me. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> so I yeah. So I kind of did it and everything obviously changed and I don't think I'd fully comprehended how much and how big a change it was gonna be all at once. I mean was it pretty intense course? Like what was yeah. the sort of how, yeah. how did it how did sort of typical day we in at eight no, in at half eight, home by six, you know, but on your feet all day and work you know working on pieces and um and sometimes it was quite physical you know I was trying to get my head around a CAD thing as well which was kind of new to me I'm not really good is that with... the sort of computer automated yeah. design is that right yeah it was uh like I felt very slow <laughs> just trying to um yeah but it was you know it was it it was an incredible feeling to kind of come home and be exhausted from something mm. and then look to music for, I guess, a break from that. Yeah. You know? yeah. Um, so just simultaneously whilst mm -hmm. you were doing your furniture course, you'd rented, uh, am I right? you rented a house in the Lake District, was mm -hmm. quite isolated. That just yeah. had a, was it just you and a piano pretty much? I mean... No, I, mean, I had, <laughs> had furniture. Yeah. And had a toilet. I had a bath that <laughs> I uh, frequented. Um, no, it was, it was in in the village oh, um, okay. or in the outskirts of the village by a river. And, um, but it was, you know, I kept myself to myself and I didn't leave the village 
that often. Um, I'd walk to school and walk home from school and I'd run around, you know, the area where the house was. And um, But it didn't really have much... Wi-Fi was sporadic, which was great and awful, you know. <laughs> um, so I guess, yeah. Like, and, and also I guess when you accidentally change everything about your life <laughs> it's kind of at times you feel like amazed at yourself that you've done it and then at times it feels like it's been imposed on you and you don't know mm. how the hell that decision you know who the hell made this decision <laughs> this is insane um so it's it's there was a lot of uh, a lot of you know personal reckoning where you spend a lot of time with yourself mm. um but you know it's um i bought myself a piano and it kind of was as corny as it sounds <laughs> it was kind of my friend you know and it was um yeah it was company to me and it was a uh, cathartic to play it at times when i felt maybe a bit lonely or mm. Maybe I'd thought too much about some stuff, you know. <laughs> um, and at times it was joyful, you know. I'd Friday night I'd drink some wine and I'd have a lovely... Boogie-woogie. Time to <laughs> do my version of the boogie-woogie. <laughs> yeah. When, you know, you made this, for the music industry quite an unusual decision to take time out mm. to do this course, had you thought you'd simultaneously be writing a new album or was it... Just what you did when you weren't doing that. Yeah, I mean, I, I and in in a non dramatic way, just in a way of well, maybe this is just not working for me anymore. I thought I may just not make another record, you know, call it a day and do something else. But in you know, in kind of drawing that exit door in your mind, kind of gives you so much freedom you know the stakes are all of a sudden very low mm. and you kind of give yourself the space to annihilate your own identity and expectations and um so it was it was incredible you know and it was um kind of to not have this constant surveillance on something you know where you are just writing without really realizing you're writing just because it's um, kind of how you uh yeah i guess it, it's it was cathartic and it was joyful and it was i really didn't ever think about um an audience you know because mm. maybe they're just it was never gonna leave the you know privacy of my own home yeah. um so that was that was really um nice a nice after the fact when you realize oh god i may have accidentally written a record and, <laughs> and that's not how i saw <laughs> yeah, it yeah. you know i, I kind of had an eight track and i was gonna put time aside to sit down and write and record stuff on the eight track and and process never happened but I did find accidentally a, a different 
way of writing. Yeah. Yeah. So had you really I've got to the point prior to that where you seriously considered I might not put out another record, I might not yeah. tour again. Yeah, but again not in a kind of I wasn't in a funk necessarily. I was just like I maybe you know, maybe my motives are wrong. Maybe I'm doing this just because it's what I've been doing for the past ten years and you know, you finish one album cycle and you start thinking about writing another record or what should I be doing next? And I think when you're you know, it's it's such a music is such a valuable thing and you're really asking people to invest in something you're doing and if you are unsure as to the motives of your own investment then it's it's kind of wrong to to just keep doing it for the sake of just because it's what you do yeah yeah you know so it's i think it was really important to kind of step off the train and check in to kind of touch that again is really exciting and it's kind of uh, great to kind of yeah feel all those things again did the actual course itself you know mm-hmm. making this furniture did that impact on how you wrote the songs and what the songs came out like? Uh, I don't think it impacted the writing other than it kind of allowed me to write without this constant surveillance because I was mostly thinking about school and homework. And um, What homework do you get? At, design. Do like design homework. Right. No, you don't take that's new to me. I, no. I can't build anything. So no, um, you I just design stuff, right. you know, and um, and trying to get my head around that CAD, but yeah, became um, the bane of my existence. I think, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so it, it allowed you know all eyes to be off music, which kind of allowed me to become friends with it again on my mm. own terms. Um, but I think it really helped in in the recording process because I foolishly thought it would be like the other couple of records that I'd done in America where I take some songs into the studio, we do what we do, and then I have a record at the end of it, you know. But um, But these songs have kind of been kicking around for longer than any songs that... I've taken into a record, into a studio. Right, I see. So they kind of almost became like solid structures, you know. And so they were very much dictating what we could and couldn't do to them. And they were there were styles of playing that I try and it was as almost almost as if the songs were just rejecting it. So it became a pretty um a pretty just I mean, just longer than expected, harder than I expected. Um, You know, I had to sit down and craft guitar parts or synth parts, whereas maybe before it's something maybe a little bit more spontaneous Mm. would have been the the way and then the song would kind of maybe form around those moments. But um, uh, yeah, this was very much, um, you know, I had to employ a lot of patience, which... I learned to furniture school. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say yeah. dovetails nicely. Yeah, yeah. Just more Thank you. Fur- furniture well, yeah. analogies. Furniture, furniture humour. That's <laughs> my favourite type of humour. Half draped eyes in a liquid night fall apart and you 
Um, you you didn't record it in the UK, right? You went no. You went to London to record it. Um, I went to Stinson, which is a studio north of uh, San Francisco, and it's um, it's where we actually made Crab Day, um, and it's it's incredible. You're looking out over the ocean, and there's mountains behind you, and it's um, it's just it's nice for everyone to be in the same place and sleeping and eating together, and I think it makes things a lot easier. You you everyone is kind of on the same page and you're all kind of sharing a vocabulary and um so we we were there for a couple of weeks and thought honestly thought we'd probably get most of it done um and i guess what was different this time is we usually we'd kind of recorded a lot of the songs live you know and we'd rehearse and then we'd record them live and then we'd do overdubs but this was kind of opening the door in increments so that we could work with the musicians one-on-one um which again you know it was just a lot more um just felt a lot more invested and a lot more um yeah but just felt everything felt a lot more personal you know um and then we kind of picked up the session in Los Angeles, um, but it just didn't seem to work because I think everything was a lot more fragmented and, you know, when everyone goes home at the end of the day, everyone is kind of, their heads get full of other stuff mm. and then they next day people come in late or, you know, there's always something or people leave to lunch and then again you have to spend a bit of time kind of trying to collect everyone um, and it just didn't seem to to work, you know. We couldn't really make any progress other than Josh Klinghoffer played some great guitar in the record during that time. Um, so then Summer and I took it to Joshua Tree and we rented a house and we set up our own studio really in the house um, and just kind of, yeah, crafted the songs, just the two of us in a way that felt like, you know, um, serving the songs. Yeah. Yeah. We've well, got some uh, some amazing views everywhere you've gone then, pretty yeah, much, for these yeah. ones. Is that yeah, a key great, thing? Yeah. As long as when you're looking for a studio, you check out it what does you help. out the window. Yeah, it really helps. <laughs> um, but also just, I think, this, for me, I just love to try and create as much of a vacuum and just to be uninterrupted, you know, and... I guess that keeps out any idea of, you know, when you start to think about, you invent an audience or you start thinking about what people expect from you and that kind of is always when things go way off piste, you know. Um, So it's nice to just try and be with the record and it just not think about what comes next yeah. you know just think about what you have in in your hand do you try yeah. not to not listen to like other music when you're making a record um i mean it's it's nice at times if there's something that you can't relay in words to somebody else but there's always a danger that you know when you say you know what for example david bowie i hear in david bowie's music is maybe a feeling and what someone else would hear in his music is maybe, you know, 
that they concentrate on the drum sound and yeah. that's not necessarily what I'm trying yeah. to evoke, you know. So it's um, Summer and I try and communicate just, you know, verbally without playing each other's stuff. Um, but like verbal mood boards sort of thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, I guess, yeah, I guess my capacity for listening to music when I'm making music is pretty low. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you do, you sort of, you're talking a lot about sort of working with the other musicians. You mm-hmm. collaborate a lot. Um, you've mentioned, let's say, we've, we've talked about when you were on the Neon Neon record, mm-hmm. you sung with the Manic Street Preachers, um, but you also produce yeah. as well. Um, yeah. And you worked a lot with Deer Hunter recently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how, how was that experience? It was wild. Yeah. It was, um, I mean, amazing. I mean, I don't know if you've met Bradford ever, I have but not. he's incredible. He's such an incredible human and I feel like I learned so much in a very short amount of time, you know. Um, And, yeah, just such a nebulous job title that it it changes. (laughs) Don't don't worry, Sue, don't worry about producers. There's nothing wrong with being a producer. But, um, you know, it, it changes by the day. It sometimes changes by the hour, you know. Um, but um, but yeah, it was it was amazing, and to work, to work with someone like Bradford is just um, so such a valuable experience, you know. More things to learn, more strings. Always, more yeah, strings always, yeah. I mean, any any time you work with someone in a studio, you you learn something, you know, whether it's about how something you instinctively do doesn't always work and how you can, you know, how you have to kind of be malleable yourself and it's not about people always bending to suit you, whether you're artist or producer, you know. It's um, it's collaborative, isn't it? Yeah. And it's, um, yeah. I mean, you wrote with the Chemical Brothers as well. Yeah. Was that quite a different experience from your normal sort of songwriting process? Yeah, I mean, it was, um, they sent me a track and asked me to write a melody and vocals for it, you know, and there was a bit of back and forth and and then I went to um, their studio in Kent, I think it was. And, yeah, it was, it, it's, I felt on the, quite on the spot, you know, to be, writing for someone as big as the Chemical mm. Brothers in a way and but yeah it was it was quite strange um, but you know great and I loved working with them um, but not not how I you know I, I don't normally write lyrics especially or vocal melodies with somebody kind of almost watching and yes me Almost all sort of almost yeah, as it way. kind yeah, of yeah. yeah, it's it's but it's you know it's good to f- feel uncomfortable sometimes, isn't it? And yeah. um, you know you you learn you learn stuff that way. Yeah. yeah. Um, speaking of learning things, mm-hmm. do you, as I say, you find much use for your you made you did your furniture course. Mm-hmm. Uh, you built a chair that's been on display recently. Yeah, is that right? Could yeah. you describe for the listeners describe the chair? You sent me a photo of it over email when I interviewed ah, you before. Ah, okay. Very, yeah, yeah. very good. But I think you need to. I won't do a very good job explaining. <laughs> I don't think I will either. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty brutal and minimal. 
Um, but it's got some nods to, like for me, there was a an architect and a she designed furniture as well. Um, and I, th- I find myself drawn to furniture that's been designed by architects. But a lady called Lina Bobadi, who was um, an Italian-born Brazilian architect, and her work is some of my favourite. You know, it's really playful, but it's really strong. And and so she was, to me, almost like uh, the Bowie of uh, architecture. So um, there's these two balls on the <laughs> chair, two, yeah, that are kind of out of place in a way, but it's, but there's, you know, it's kind of playful and it's kind of almost a nod to Krautrock, but also to Lina Bobadi. Um, yeah, so there you have it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's not everyone's cup of tea, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but I like it. Where is it? Is it in your house at the moment? It is somewhere. Uh, yeah, it's that's a good question. Um, I think it's in my mum and dad's house, <laughs> um, hidden away. You know, <laughs> it's very easy to write a song that's not for everyone and conceal it somewhere. But a piece of furniture, you know, it's quite hard to hide. <laughs> It's quite a burden making a piece of furniture and going, oh my God, who the hell is going to want this? Have you made anything since? Uh, I actually went to uh, Marfa in Texas um, and made, rebuilt that chair. Oh, okay. Um, for a festival that was going on. Because um, there's a, a furniture, well, an artist, but he designed a lot of furniture called Donald Judd, who lived in. Maffa, Texas, um, and so it felt really, yeah, I'm a huge, huge fan of his work. Um, and the chair is kind of in, inspired by the kind of simplicity and the functionality of his um, furniture design. So it felt really lovely to be there on his kind of yeah. stomping ground, making a, a chair, um, and also lovely to be at a music festival and not be playing yeah uh, yeah it was great yeah <laughs> don't mind me i'm just building a chair yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah and you're on your own you're on your own watch you know it was great yeah fantastic welcome once more to q presents the making of um well thank you so much for talking to yeah, us of course. it's been thank delightful um we have do you remember smash hits i do yes they used to have a thing called the biscuit tin okay and we've sort of borrowed the concept stolen of the biscuit yeah borrowed you okay. could say um, we don't have a biscuit tin though ours is in an, in an envelope um, so it's yes yeah, similar similar to them so you'd sort of pull out random questions okay do you want to do you want to go I'll have one go delve into the yeah. how many did we do about four would you say four of them may I pass you may pass yeah okay here we go um, you have to read it out obviously Dan what song would you have played at your funeral um there is a song on a K. Lamar album called Porcelain. Okay. Um, and, oh my God, what's her name? Nancy. I can't remember her name other than her first name, Nancy. She sings on it. It's called uh, Ceylon, I think. Okay. It's one of the most beautiful songs I've ever heard. But it's got a sense of... 
um, I don't know, I feel like a, a sense of a new day, you know, when mm. it plays. So I think that might be a nice optimistic yeah like just crack on you know i'm I'm done you guys crack on yeah um yeah so that one i think fantastic okay delve back in i'd love to um okay you can give it a shake if you want if you could give one bit of advice to your 18 year old self what would it be um i think it would be to not shrink in a situation that is, you know, like studios and um, where it's male dominated, but to not kind of shrink in those mm. situations. Yeah. Okay, that's excellent. Yeah. There uh, we go. Um, to whom would you most like to apologize to? Oh, <laughs> uh, do you know um, when I I grew up in rural Wales, mm. and me and my sisters, my sister would um, and in the summer holidays we'd go and work on a a riding school yard. It was pretty tough job and we you know we didn't get paid we just got maybe a pony right now and again (laughs) but it sorted out like childcare for mum and dad who both worked and but we me and my sister both loved loved horses you know and so we had the land or a little bit of land and uh you know stables on the property that you know we could have horses and but it was understood that if we did, then there'd be no presents, Christmas presents or birthday presents. And we were, you know, of course. Um, so I um, I had a, a horse called Tavy, who was just the absolute apple of my eye. And I'd sleep in the stable with him, you know, and he'd, he'd, he was such a sweetheart. He'd kind of I'd lie in the field with him and I'd brush his hair and he was everything to me and I promised him that he was number one always and then you know 16 17 boys alcohol partying (laughs) he just slowly faded a little bit you know in my and I always felt that he was angry with me (laughs) (laughs) that he went from like top dog to uh you know to to a, a horse I'd not you know, I just still the horse used to know. Yeah, <laughs> but wouldn't ride as much, and you know, he just didn't get the attention that he used to. So, I I would like to apologise to him, even though he's um, passed away. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> wherever you are. Yeah, he's he's around. Yeah. Um. Uh, one more. Yeah. Okay. What's your favourite item of clothing? Uh. Got it. Oh, my hat. This hat yeah. you're currently wearing. Yeah. It's a, it, was, it, was, it is a very <laughs> nice hat, actually. <laughs> it was um, given to me by uh, a friend. And I've never been a hat person. But, um, but I seem to wear this hat a lot. And it's become almost like, you know, leaving the house. Oh, where's my where's hat? Where's my hat? Yeah. I'm one of those people now. Where's my hat? <laughs> Um, you're a, you're the hat guy now. I am. I'm that guy. I'll just describe yeah. it. It's 
black corduroy mm-hmm. with the Porsche logo on front. Yeah, sort of baseball cap. Kind yeah. of quite horrible, really. Straight, <laughs> um, it suits everyone. Does it? Yeah, it's one of those hats that suits everyone, and so I'm constantly finding it on other people's heads. You know? <laughs> um, but yeah, my hat, maybe. Nice, yeah. Yeah. One more? Okay. Shall we go yeah. one more? Yeah. Okay, here we go. Ah. Do you have any allergies? Um, not the... Oh, I once worked on a pecan farm. Right. Not as as a pecan picker. A pecan picker? You were, were you a pecan picker? <laughs> I was not a pecan picker. Uh, there's a studio in... Uh, this is where we did the uh, some of the Day Hunter record, the studio in... Texas called Sonic Ranch, and it's on this incredible pecan farm. But I think the pecan trees were pollinating. <laughs> and, and I, it was hell. I, I'm, I think I'm allergic to, to pecan trees pollinating. Pe- you're allergic to pecan pollen, but, yeah, but not pecan picking. No, pecan picking's <laughs> fine. Um, but pecan trees, I may be allergic oh, okay. to. Interesting. Yeah. But you can eat pecan pie... Eat pecans, no, everything pecans. No problem. No problem. Yeah. No, that's but, interesting. Yeah, yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah, there you go. Well, on that note, Kate, thank you so much for joining us. <laughs> oh, it's been welcome. a real pleasure. Thank you for having me. Um, I'd like to thank Sue, our producer. Thank I'd you, like Sue. Thank you, the listener, for listening. Thank you. Um, please don't forget to rate us and subscribe on Apple Podcast, Planet Radio, Google Play, Spotify, or whatever you get your podcast fix. This has been another episode of Q Presents The Making Of. We'll see you next time. Yeah, yeah. I do really love yeah. the record. So oh, thank you. Fingers for September. Oh, I, yeah, it's just a bit of fun, isn't it? It's kind of quite silly in a way, but nice. Yeah. But um, that's what's kind of nice about the Mercury's the nomination is enough, isn't it? And yeah. I don't really think about the possibility or, you know, impossibility of winning. Who presents? The making of.